0: Joking for Jessica, the show that discusses Marvel and Netflix's Jessica Jones episode by episode. Uh, We're over halfway through the first season, and tonight we're discussing episode 7, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts. Perverts, uh, On this episode of uh, Jessica Jones, Malcolm Simpson and Trish go rogue to prevent Jessica from carrying out an extreme plan to outwit Kilgrave. I'm Brett, and joining me tonight is Always my co host, Alana. How you doing? Really excited.
1: Um, I'm good. I, I'm really looking forward to our next guest. Uh, she's somebody who I've talked about pop culture with before and who has an expertise when it comes to cultural uh, criticism and analysis that is really perfect for talking about Jessica Jones. Sure. Uh, are you ready to introduce her?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, our guest tonight is Jacqueline Freeman. Uh, she's worked her work has redefined the concept of healthy sexuality and popularized. Yes means yes standard of sexual consent is quickly becoming law on many U.S. campuses. Uh, she's written multiple multiple books and is a speaker on campuses and com- conferences across the U.S. and beyond. Uh, she's appeared on PBS, uh, MSNBC, Melissa uh, Harris-Perry show, BBC, and tons of other radio and television shows. Uh, she's also appeared in, uh, let's CNN, Time, Washington Post, Nation, Jezbo, Post, And she's here tonight with us. She's the founder and former executive director of Women Action and the Media, where she led the successful uh, hashtag FB Rape campaign to apply Facebook's hate speech ban to content that promotes gender based violence. She's also a charter member of CounterQuo, a coalition dedicated to challenge, uh, challenging the ways we respond to sexual violence. Freeman holds an MFA in creative writing from Emerson College. It's going to be awesome tonight uh, to discuss Jessica Jones.
2: Welcome, ja- uh, Jacqueline. Hi. How are you doing? Well, I'm um, blushing, and it makes me sound very tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad uh, to be here. No, I really
0: appreciate having it. It's it's one. This is a, a show that I think uh, allows for a, a great discussion from like really serious topics, and I you know I. I not to not to put pressure on you. I think you're going to be awesome and and give some uh, a lot of insight that, you know, you don't normally hear when discussing like pop culture television shows. So, thanks for coming on. Really really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. So, for folks who
1: haven't listened to our show before, um, you know, we focus each episode on one particular episode of the show. Uh, you know, we we make sure to avoid spoilers of things that were in future episodes, but we certainly will talk and reflect on things that were in the earlier episodes as well. Um, I, uh, you know, I think like as a general episode itself, you know, do you have any thoughts about how episode seven stands up in the series? Did you feel like it was a strong one or a weaker one? Are you asking me?
2: Oh, yes, yes. Okay, Uh, I thought it was quite strong, especially in the main plot. Um, You know, when you get to that declaration at the end. um, Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of want to back up for a second and talk about the context from which I'm watching the show, which is that I haven't read the comics, um, and I don't tend to watch TV like this. I don't like watching really scary stuff. I don't watch violent stuff. Um, so uh, I mostly watch these episodes and feel like throwing up on my shoes the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I I, sh- I feel like I should just confess like, I think it's a phenomenal show. I'm not enjoying watching it. Does that make right, sense? Right, right. Yes.
1: Absolutely. I actually, I was just curious to ask you, what was it that got you started watching it? Was it just you know, that a lot of feminist folks are are talking about it or what was the, what was the draw?
2: Well, I saw a bunch of stuff written about how it was really, uh, refreshing in the way it handled female sexuality and that piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I watched some Marvel stuff. I have watched a couple of the Avengers movies and some Iron Man and I, uh, love Agent Carter. So it's not like I'm completely new to this world, but, uh, So I was like, huh, well, this sounds interesting. Maybe this will be up my alley. And I've always liked Kristen Ritter and always felt like she deserved a better vehicle than she's had. So, um, and Mm -hmm. I definitely think this is it. I think she's crushing it on this show. Um, And I'm so happy to see her have a vehicle that's worthy of of what I always sort of suspected was in there. Um, Mm -hmm. So all of those pieces made me be like, let me check this out. But I'll be honest, like, if I hadn't agreed to do this show, I don't know if I would have kept watching it through episodes. It's really hard. It's hard for me a lot. It makes me feel like I have to decompress afterwards. I have to wind down. It makes me feel very stressed out, and it hits me in in my trauma places, honestly. Um, I hear
1: that a lot. I really do. For men and women, like, that it's just – the fact that a lot of people binge-watched it is sort of hard for me to –
2: Oh my God. Them. I can't. I have to watch like Master of None afterwards or or Jane the Virgin or something delightful <laughs> or like yeah. the Great yeah. British baked Baking Show. I have to like cleanse my palate afterwards or else I can't continue my life. Um, I can't yeah. imagine binge watching this show. So, which is all to say, like, I feel differently about this show in terms of saying like this was a good episode than I do about other shows because I don't relate to it that way in the same way. But uh-huh. I thought it was a brilliantly crafted and I thought it was a great episode in that um it was terrifying. <laughs> um yeah. and it really I thought that getting that that climactic scene and getting to understand Kilgrave and what he thinks about all of this more was really it was really helpful, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the real purposes of this episode is to show you Kilgrave's perspective, you know, and how he voices just an extreme version of things that a lot of people and men in media basically say without thinking all the time. Um, Oh, my God. he's sort of expressing a logical extension of it.
2: That moment where he says, in 30 seconds, I'm going to walk out of here and you're all going to decide this was hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually what happens, right? Everyone just decides it was hilarious. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was like,
2: I thought that was so on point. I, I really felt like that entire monologue and some of the other stuff that we've heard him say in previous episodes in the, the Sandwich Saved Me episode, which I think was episode five, when he first meets Jessica, he kind of nags mm-hmm. her like a pickup artist. I don't know if you talked yes. about this on the previous show. Yeah. We
1: have not talked about him nagging specifically like a pickup artist, but that's a great comparison.
2: Yeah. He does. He says, You're like me. You have powers, except not as awesome, right? Like, you're not quite as mm-hmm. great as I am. Um,
1: yeah.
2: And he, he needs to change he, what she's wearing,
1: <laughs> you know? Yes. It's like I can help you with yes, your fashion that way.
2: Exactly. He totally megs her. And and I saw that that big speech he got to give in this episode was a continuation of that thought. You know, I heard all the men's rights activist stuff that I track echoed. It was like a, he's basically an MRA with actual power. Yeah. Which is just the most terrifying
1: thing you can imagine. Um, I know. Exactly. You know,
2: exactly.
1: I, uh, one of my notes that I have from this scene was just that, um, I mean, well, he, he, you know, he describes Jessica as being the first thing, I'm sorry, I mean person that yes. uh, he wanted that he wasn't able to have. And it's sort of like how, you know, a lot of, of the worst sexist people have these, these cultural context clues. They know how they're supposed to talk about people, but that's not actually been internalized in any way.
2: You know, he knows he's not supposed to call her a thing. But that is how he And sees I felt
1: her. in mm.
2: David Tennant's delivery that there was even that moment when he said that, like, oh, right, you'd prefer it if I say person. Like, I'm going to humor you by saying this. I felt there was, like, mm. a hint of that in that beat also, like, oh, right, I'm sorry, I I don't mean to offend you. I know you prefer the word person, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, he was being I PC, also, but, like, indulgent about it. Yeah, um, and I feel like the other line that I just
1: thought really to me signals a lot about him is he says, "I know what love looks like. I watch television," and that just reminds me how when you hear, I mean, when you have when you hear about these men who go on rampages and stuff like that, like they have a narrative of how life is supposed to work, and what the kinds of things they're entitled to, and how people are supposed to respond to things, and this whole like narrative is one in which they get what they want. I felt like him talking about, you know, he thinks, right, like, Kilgrave, everyone's the hero of their own story, right? So Kilgrave is the hero of Kilgrave's story. And Kilgrave thinks he's in, like, some romantic comedy where, you know, he's just going to yeah. win over the girl or something. Like, this is how he's going to do it. Kilgrave he thinks
2: he's not Say Anything, and that, that, that scene with the <gasps> police station was like him holding a boombox over his head. That's what he thinks.
1: Oh, my God, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. Totally.
2: That's, that's, that's exactly what, what he thinks. He thinks this is his grand oh, wow.
3: gesture. hmm hmm And,
2: I, um, I, you know, it, it really
1: was an amazing scene, like, in terms of what it just spells out for everybody. You know, like, I'm not torturing you. I love you. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, like, people's stalkers say that. That's, like, the number one thing people's stalkers probably say.
2: And he negs her in that moment, too. He's like, oh, my God, you're so insecure that you see this as torture, right? You don't see how much I love you. Because, like, he, he thinks it's because she doesn't believe herself worthy of love or something, right? <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I and mean, she says, you were in my life, and he's like, oh, you don't really have a life. I mean, you know, basically belittling her existence uh, as she's been living right. it. Yeah, that entire scene was just amazing. Um, from the beginning of it to the end, uh, you know, she walks in to the to the police station dripping water and you see you see her entering the space oh from behind and it kind of reminded me of like a giallo which is like those Italian horror like revenge violent movies you know like she's like she's like the man who came back from you know being buried alive and has come out of dug out of the ground and it has that kind of like feel to her walking and she comes in and then she just drops the head
0: on oh, and that's a oh yeah. my god <laughs> Is that from Seven?
1: I I haven't seen Seven. I totally,
0: so I watched it again, and I kind of picked up on it, is I totally feel like they shot that purposely to be, like, Seven when uh, Mm -hmm. John Doe walks into the police station. Like, they start from uh, lower legs and kind of move their way up in a very similar way to him, uh, to what they did for her, I mean. I'm sure
1: they got that, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they got that from Giallos, because that's, like, a 70s thing, but, like, but, yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, especially, like, with the body part stuff, you know?
0: Exactly. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. And the music they used with that was really was really good for it. Um, I don't think I yeah. even noticed the music. <laughs>
2: so, it, it, I wasn't breathing right, at that
1: yeah. point. <laughs> and I noticed the music a lot on the show. In fact, there was a moment, another moment in the show, where I thought the music was actually completely wrong, and I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later. But you know what? Maybe, speaking of menacing music in dark hallways, I want to drive back to the beginning of the episode and um, sort of walk mm. our way through from that, from that point. Um, you know, we open up with some menacing music in a dark hallway, which is Jessica's hallway. And you see Kilgrave in her apartment and he's just, you know, absolutely invading her space in the most personal way by like peeing in her toilet. Like, we all visibly recoiled at him peeing. Like it's disturbing enough seeing Kilgrave inside her apartment, but like some reason, like him peeing in her toilet was just like the creepiest mm-hmm. thing. We also don't we don't think he flushed, but that that maybe maybe that happened off camera.
3: Um, no, I don't.
2: I we certainly didn't see him flush. I was spending that exactly. entire event hoping it was a dream. And I think there's an, there an oh. establishing shot that really helps you maybe think that because the that tracking shot down the hallway with the menacing music before you actually see he's in her apartment is up high. Like it's up at the level of the ceiling lights, which made me think that maybe we were in like a, cause you know, nobody walks up that high. Um, there was something mm. very eerie and disorienting about that shot that made me think maybe this is a dream sequence where he's in her apartment. It was, yeah, it was pretty horrifying. But then when poor Reuben came to the door, I was pretty sure this was not a dream. Yeah, because nobody dreams about Reuben, except if it's... <laughs> 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 banana bread. When the first, no, exactly.
0: Well, the first time I saw it, I actually thought it was um, a scene in the past, and that they were going, and they were going to do something oh. about, like, Kilgrave and her in the past, and then it's quickly not the case, because Reuben shows up.
1: Right. Oh, that would have made sense, too. Oh, my God. He just, he's just lamb to the slaughter, like... He is the most lamb for the slaughter thing that has ever happened in this show, you know.
2: He is such a lamb. <laughs> yeah. I brought her banana bread. <sighs>
0: but She's I so love Tograve's so so, response. So pathetic, I mean to but... me this episode is oh, yeah. all about Tennant's acting. Like, mm-hmm. he's so good in the episode, as like horrible as the character is, like his response to that scene of like, Why'd you go do that? and the way he delivers that line is so like, so amazing, so fantastic, it's one of those, like, I couldn't help but laugh, being like, I know you're an asshole, I know you're going to just kill this guy and do horrible things, but just, like, the your, your acting ability, uh, basically, they just did a fantastic job of, like, of acting and presenting that character, where you don't yeah. completely hate him, because he's so good in that role.
2: Well, and I think that I agree. I mean, I think Tenon is. Uh, it's hard to imagine anyone else in the role at this point. Uh, I feel that way about Mike Coulter and Kristen Ritter as well, honestly. Oh um, yeah. But yeah, Tenon is spectacular, and, and what he captures is that that a lot of these guys, if we're talking real world, you know, these abusive assholes are are quite charismatic. Um, Not all of them. (laughs) But, um, you know, why would you get lured in in the first place if there wasn't something appealing and charismatic there? Uh, And Mm -hmm. he really captures that so well, which is, like, you get the appeal of this guy. You really do.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we have Jessica
1: getting thrown out of a bar, which I think she was in that bar because she was casing Wendy. Um, yeah, and we we kind of have a flashback, where, you know, where the where the the, the man who's in the garbage because he doesn't have a house tells her that she stinks, and she says I'm a piece of shit, and shit stinks. So which is sort of a you know calls back to the last episode, which ended with her being told by Luke that yes, she is in fact a piece of shit because mm. she completely lied to him, and given the nature of her relationship, that was particularly egregious. Um, yeah. Actually, I would love to get your, I mean, your quick, if you have any quick thoughts, just because we didn't have you speak about their relationship so far. I mean, I can't imagine how after her betrayal of him, that that could, you know, like, how did you ever even come back with that? You can't. But certainly, like, she, she's a, she stalks him. She's abusing, you know, Luke, essentially, by sleeping with him when she knows damn well if he knew the truth. That wouldn't have happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, I... I'm so torn up about it because I ship them really hard. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel terrible about it. I Yeah, exactly. And, like, why does she stalk him? Like, why is she taking pictures of him? Like, I still don't feel like we have an understanding of that. Like, why? I understand why after she slept with him she didn't want to be like, by the way, I'm the yeah. one who killed your wife. Um, but why would she... I don't know. I I don't feel like that's an. I think she's torturing her by the show. I, I
1: feel like Maybe. she's stalking him because she's torturing herself. She wants to like, she's really like immerse herself. Self in... flag. Exactly. She's
2: like, Oh my god, let me see how this is the life of this
1: like make of this man whose like life I ruined because I killed his wife.
2: I, I that's how I And then she it gets be. drawn in. Yeah, but no, it's didn't. it's a profound violation, you know. When I, whenever I to, I talk a lot, you know, on campuses and things about affirmative consent and these ideas and I always say when I'm talking about what is real consent looks like, I always say, like, no lying, right? Like, you can't yeah. sleep with somebody under false pretenses. And usually what I mean is, like, don't tell someone you're being monogamous when you're not, or, like, don't tell someone you've been tested for STIs if you haven't, or whatever. But this is a profound case of that where – she knows, she can be certain that he would not sleep with her if he knew. And so she's voiding his ability to meaningfully consent to the situation because he doesn't know what the situation is, and she does. Um, and it is, is—it's. I don't know how you come back from that. I think it's pretty unforgivable. I don't blame him for calling her a piece of shit. But then it breaks my heart because mm-hmm. I shit them really hard. And the sex yeah. is really hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Though. I'm I really bummed
1: out. Bring that perspective.
2: Mm. I'm so Ugh. glad that she finally told him. Like it's crushing me every time they interacted, and she didn't tell him. Yeah, yeah. I keep I kept kind of putting it out of my mind also
1: because in the comic that's she doesn't do that to him. I'm sorry. In the oh. comic, she she in the comic she did not kill his wife. There was no wife. Therefore it's easy for me to forget that she kills his wife because that's not part of the story that I have built up around them.
2: So were so, they just in a like lovely, happy romance in the comics?
1: No, but there's nothing at the level of like killing it. I mean, there's nothing at that level. You know what I mean? Got it. It's, it's, it's much more of a normal like romance in which there are challenges because pe- pe- people are dealing with self-loathing and, you know, and issues like that, but it's not. Sure. It's not at this level. Yeah. So it's easy for me to forget it because it's not part of the backstory I have for them. And I appreciate it that it's the like show all doesn't let me get away with out. it, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was as yeah. soon as that re- that was revealed.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going like, the, the thing I think that's really interesting. I kind of brought it up on an earlier show that we did was, and I think the show does it really well. Is it? It gives you three different perspectives and three different levels of like the stalking aspect. So you got Kilgrave, who's you know obviously in her apartment, horrible, um, you know unforgivable, like no peace whatsoever. You got what she's done, which again is like really, really bad. It's clearly stalking Luke and kind of and taking advantage of doing things that, you know, not telling him the truth. And then you've got her neighbor who in a weird way is stalking and kind of obsessed with her, just showing up and bringing You mean food. Ruben.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like
0: it's three different perspectives on the same story.
2: Huh. I don't know if what Reuben's doing rises to the level of stalking. I think Reuben is certainly deliberately not reading cues <laughs> or, or obsession. Yeah. Like I like I don't know how you wanted to describe like honestly stalking, obsessed, but sure, yeah. But I don't think he, yeah. I would say he rises to the level of stalking. But I understand it's a similar dynamic for each of them. It's each of yeah. them have an unhealthy obsession to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then even his the sister, in a weird
0: thing? way, It has a weird obsession with Ruben. Yeah, I don't even Um,
2: wonder.
0: Oh, they're disturbing. Well, yeah.
2: (laughs) The other mirror thing that's freaking me out, if I can go on a tangent for a second, Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. um, I rewatched all of the original trilogy Star Wars movies this weekend in preparation, and then I just went and saw The Force Awakens, and I'm not going to spoil that for anybody. But um, (laughs) mind control comes up quite a lot in those movies, except it's used by the good guys. Um and it's almost the exact right. instruction, right? You know, these are not the droids mm-hmm. you are looking for. Um, and uh, and it's just it's sort of flipping me out. I don't even have anything smart to say about it, except like, mm-hmm. boy, are those things handled really differently than oh, absolutely. you know?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I, you know, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sure people are not horribly surprised. And one of the things that the, <gasps> like one of the I I know. And one of the things that if I'm playing a character who's, like, has a good ally, who's good as opposed to neutral or evil, and that character has magical powers, I do not use, like, mind control powers in that role. Because you can't, in, as I define it, like, you can't be good and, you, you know, and have certain access to certain spells that enable you to control the mind of someone else. Like, the most I'll let a good character get away with in terms of mind control these things is the power to make a person fall asleep on command. But, like, the power to change people's minds using magic, that's nothing which a good character, to me, in Dungeons & Dragons will not do.
2: But have you seen The Force Awakens?
1: Oh, of course.
2: Okay, I mean, so there's a scene that involves oh, wait, mind sorry, control, you mean, but... Sorry, you, you, mean the, you mean the new the new
1: movie? I'm sorry, no. The new one, yeah. I was thinking of a new, dot, I have not seen it. No, good people use, all right. people, good people use this in, in, in all kinds of media. I mean, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for, as an example, obviously, I'm thinking of. But,
2: right, but do we wish know. that he hadn't done that? I think it's an interesting question. Like, it's very clear on Jessica Jones, like, mind control is a total profound violation. But I don't remember ever thinking, gosh, I wish Obi-Wan hadn't, you know, mind controlled those stormtroopers. Oh, yeah, I mean, nor did I. But also, I was, like, two when I first saw it. So Yeah, I know. I know.
1: I guess it's for me though, anyway. like when I'm playing when I'm when I'm role playing though, it like feels like it's me doing it in a way which makes me feel like different about about it. But I totally get what you're saying. Like, you know, uh, there's the questions of like what is the level of what's the level of, of mind control you're exercising what's the reasons, you know, for it, et cetera? But I, I do feel like Right, it's, can it be used
2: know, in self defense, for example? Those mm-hmm, sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. exactly. Anyway, the, the mirror, the echoes between the two of them have been just sort of like freaking me out a little bit because they're handled so one hundred percent differently. Um, 100%. Just one hundred because only the good guys. Well, no, that's not true. The anyway, we don't have to talk about Star Wars for you know. But um, <laughs> but but there are a lot there are a lot of mirror things happening in this show. The other thing that I thought was mirrored nicely in this episode to get back on topic was the idea about who has control of Jessica because it's not in this episode, just Kilgrave who's trying to control her, right? All of her friends are trying to stop her from doing the thing she wants to do. Now the thing she wants Mm -hmm. to do is a terrible boneheaded, horrible idea, um, possibly life altering and irrevocable. But at the same time, one of the things I recognized in this episode in particular, and I think throughout the show is when you've been violated in that profound a way, you know having control, having agency over yourself is so profound, it's so important um, and I saw that being played out here that there's all these well intentioned people who are saying like, "No, we know better than you do about what needs to happen here um That's true. and and you kind of rooting for them because what she's trying to do is a terrible idea, but at the same time, I really. Empathize with her a lot, because one of the things you see in in real life in abusive relationships is friends who are who say he's bad for you, you need to leave right or like here's what you need to do, friends who try to fix the situation or or tell the person they think is in trouble what to do because they're they're afraid right it comes from a really good place um and it's the exact same dynamic we see that play out in this episode, and it doesn't help because what that person is experiencing is a profound uh, loss of control. And the thing that's going to help them most is feeling like they get to make their own choices. Even if they're not choices that you feel like you want them to make, like letting that person make their own choices is profoundly important in helping someone who's being violated or abused in this way. Um, And I thought it was very smartly done. I don't know if it was intentional, but I feel like it must have been uh in this episode.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing also is that getting in car- her going to jail. One of the things that makes jail terrifying is you have the utter loss of any kind of autonomy. So if you have a fear right. about losing control, then like being in jail is like the worst thing that could happen to you basically. So that just, you know, and 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 she's she's, you know, she spends the whole episode trying to get herself in, in, into jail and then in the end of the episode, she's essentially signing herself over to Kilgrave for Kilgrave to control her too. Instead, or, so what if I it's mean, not guess... the
2: worst thing that could happen to you? Like, what if you're choosing it because mm. you think other, like, the worst thing that could happen to you is someone keeps killing everyone who comes in contact with you?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's her reality, certainly. That the, the, as she, she as she experiences it. But I think it's still significant like for, for for like a lot of people, like you know, being in jail, and that's what's the scariest piece. Is that loss of control oh. over yourself?
2: Yes, and I don't think the show romanticizes prison at all. Um, yeah, but I do think that it was a radical way to explore what what does helping someone really mean.
1: And you know, she says to to, to Malcolm, "I'm going to end it," and he says, "Yourself, you know, as in mm. suicide." And she says, "There's another option." And she says there's another option because that's implying that suicide is an option. Actually, is how I, I is how I interpreted that statement. Not that she was considering it in that moment, although she obviously considers it briefly after after where Wendy accidentally ends up, after she threatens Wendy, and then accidentally almost kills Wendy. Jess has a moment of look, look, looking and looking at, at that train and considers whether or not she wants to, the train hit her. You know,
2: that scene was so great. And what I loved about it was the way that the writers are really committed to the continuity of the world. Like Jessica is drunk, right? Like she's really shit face. And that has oh. an impact on her, like that moment. Like we don't see Jessica screw up and drop people most of the time. Um, but so I, I, I really loved it. They didn't overplay her drunkenness, but you know, that was a little out of control and like every choice in this world really has an impact. Um, but yeah, you also see her have that moment where she's like, maybe I'll just let the train hit me.
1: Beautifully shot scene of her looking at Wendy through the other side of the train once she throws oh. Wendy aside and she jumps up the other side. Oh the my god! Like
3: the cinematography.
1: crushes me. Amazing. And the actress who plays Wendy I, and I forgot her name is so fucking good.
2: The actress. Who and plays the Wendy? the actress yeah, who I plays
1: Wendy is I forgot her name. I think she's so fucking good though.
0: Roger, and that's such a Robin Weigert.
1: Thank you. Oh, you're so much better at that than me.
0: But yeah, I just she, had IBD overnight. I'm cheating.
1: But yeah, but like w- w- Wendy is this is this episode like every scene Wendy is in, Wendy is just incredible.
2: She got to do a lot more in mean, this episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, but she she, I mean, she
2: she really was wrong to like deeply here. Oh yeah. Although I feel like that whole plot is like the least interesting thing on the show. For me anyway, like whether or not mm-hmm. that you know the lawyer gets her divorce and gets to like marry her little trophy wife. <laughs> it just keep reminding me of mm-hmm. that um SNL skit on this weekend, so I'll meet your second wife. But um Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I I just don't wildly care. Do you guys care? I I care but it's not the most important thing.
1: But so much of, of why I care is because I think the actress who plays Wendy is so good. Um, I mean, obviously, I care about the fact that they have this, like, story that they're telling that's, you know, a, 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 like a lesbian version of a story that gets told about men and women all the time. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it on a representational level. But sure. I, but I also just, yeah, I know I do – I. I do enjoy it and I totally was thinking the same thing actually about the SNL sketch meet your meet your second wife which by the way people should go and watch this SNL sketch because it's amazing and topical um but I understand a lot of people aren't quite as into this particular subplot
0: I think the the plot's interesting in that you've got Jessica using her powers to to influence Wendy through intimidation and mm-hmm. again taking away like choice away like Wendy is being being said like no, you don't have a choice. I'm going to like beat the crap out of you to sign this. Like she's being threatened through powers. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Although it certainly you know, doesn't
0: work. Yeah, it does work. I think right. that that to me is the really impressive thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Wendy. So Wendy I, I I was like, oh, Wendy. All right. <laughs> good for you. Mhm. I mean, I, I
1: really like what I really like how. Um, the girlfriend says to, like, you know, when 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 the girlfriend tries to cover for Hogarth, being like, oh, I she already told me that. Like, I knew she was blessing. I knew she was blessing. Um, and, you know, she makes it very clear as soon as Wendy leaves. She's like, it's hard to cover for you, and I don't even know the, the, the secrets that she knows. I, I think we're going to learn some interesting secrets from them when we actually get into that. They are, apparently there's a later episode where there's like a divorce proceedings. I think I think we'll learn a lot of interesting things. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to find that Wendy is not, you know, like this total innocent. But I have to tell you, I can't imagine what it would be because she
0: doesn't seem like a bad person. But we shall see. I want to know what lawyer is dumb enough to let that get out to anyone. Mm. I, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm I'm not telling my wife where the bodies are. I don't care. No, I'm keeping that. Yeah. That to me was, like, the the worst part of that was just, like, she knew that. I'm like, why would she know this? Like, who would – how did this come up in a conversation?
1: Yeah, it's very risky and
0: weird.
2: Yeah. And in an email. Yeah, it's sloppy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an AOL. why would you have
1: evidence? (laughs) Yeah. This is sort of jumping around a bit. I'm just sort of looking through the chronology of the episode, but let's talk a little bit about douche cop. Um, I refer to him as douche. Oh cop, my so god, he,
3: douche you know, cop. Feel free
2: to... right because he's a douche and he's a cop. He is a douche, man. Although at so, least you know he seems yeah. to give good head. But I was going to say that like the
1: one the one positive thing we have to say about douche cop is he seems to be reasonably good in bed. Um he seems to be giving douche another...
2: a good time.
1: Yes. So, yeah, they have, like, a little sex scene here, and I was just like, oh, I hate you, Douche Cop. But I'm, I'm like, I'm happy for Trish in the sense that I'm happy Trish is having good sex, but I don't really like, I I just don't want
2: to watch Douche Cop have sex because I hate Douche Cop. Yeah. I don't like their sex scenes because I they make me cringe because I hate him. Yes, exactly. And also, I just wish I was watching Luke and Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's really where my head is
1: at. I was like, I'm really glad there's this like, and this is actually the most explicit sex scene that they've had, I think, in terms of like, I mean, in terms of like the yeah, in terms of like the physicality of the sex scene. But I was is just it? Like, oh, I don't not know. This some pretty explicit stuff so far. There's, like, so much humping that happens, though. There's, like, there's like people and their quadriceps are working.
2: I would have but to but go back and watch all of those sex scenes again and evaluate it. Maybe I will do that. <laughs> okay,
1: okay, that's true. I, I, I haven't done it in comparison. I have just seen this episode again, but I have not compared it to the others with that in light.
2: I think we should I, go I watch Luke and Jessica have sex some more and figure it out. Okay, for the, in the name of
1: science. <laughs> Um, exactly, just for science. Just for science. So, I do, do you think it's significant that Trish is on top in this particular one? I, I, you know, he said and he says to her that was intense. That was intense, and she says, "Don't talk," which, of course, is what we all want her to say to Douche Cop because <laughs> Douche Cop should not talk. And Douche Cop does the right thing, which is whatever you say, boss.
0: Doesn't she put his arms over his head too? Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. She definitely seems to be in control in that bed situation for sure. Um, but she's not, in fact, as in control of douche cop as she thinks she is. What no. is he, like? At, I w- do you think he's just gone rogue because he thinks he can handle it better than everybody, and he wants to take out Kilgrave? Or has yes. he gone bad in some way? No, I think it's what you
1: said first. I think he, you know, he's he's monitoring Kilgrave and pretending and, and acting like he's not. You know, he's he's reporting back that he's not seeing anything when in reality he's seeing a lot of things happening. I think he's doing it to protect them because he thinks he can just take care of it herself. I mean, she has – there's that great exchange between Trish and Douche Cop in this episode where he says some people need to be removed from the earth, and Kilgrave was one of them. She's, like, all, you know, melodramatic about things. And she's like, like, that's what killers say. We're not killers. He calls her naive, and she says, no, I'm idealistic, and maybe it's futile. But – and then she gives on a really good speech here. I want justice for my friend, for hope you and me and I want you know she says she wants Kilgrave to live alone and despise because that's the thing that he keeps forgetting if he just kills Kilgrave Hope will live the rest of her life
2: in prison exactly right he's not thinking about anybody but his own little revenge fantasy right like if if they don't there was a whole reason that they wanted to take Kilgrave alive which is they need him yep
1: yep And you know he 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 he's, I like he says to her like oh you just need a flag and a horse like you know he's saying that she's like like being a you know a general rallying the troops to battle I think she is she's got a, she's got you know a good skill with that and we'll we'll see where that may develop in the future but um but yeah the other thing I, I when I was looking at my notes my notes said if they kill you know if they kill Kilgrave Hope dies and I'd written Hope in lower case because I was typing really quickly and it reminded mm-hmm. me we have really talked about the significance of Hope being called hope and you know hope sort of represents i think jessica's hope for redemption
2: like that's that's the significance of hope as a character yeah i think that's spot on right like that if that jessica's trying to rescue hope and and thereby like not have somebody yet another person be irredeemably fucked
1: But I also think it's not just about her wanting to help Hope as a person, though. Like, I think there's something about her feeling like if she can
2: help Hope, it'll make up
1: for the, the bad things that she's done.
2: Or at least put an end to them, right? Like, turn turn the ship around in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. I think that, obviously, Hope is named on purpose. Um, yeah, if, <laughs> if they kill Grave Hope dies, I think is very poetic. Any, any final thoughts on... Um on
1: uh, Trish Walker on top sex?
0: Are, are we, we going to move on? I
1: was like, this is I'm like, "This is interesting to me. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's, I think it highlights how she thinks she's in control and she's not as in control as she thinks she is because he's kind of gone rogue because he thinks he knows what's best.
2: Yeah, she thinks she's calling the shots and she's not.
0: He's still douche yeah, I mean, it up. To me, to me the, the most significant outfit is just her pinning his hands back. Like, that's a very... Dominating thing in many ways, and she thinks she's in control. Yeah, that—that's what I took away from that movie. Yeah,
1: ah, <sighs> oh, they're still sleeping with each other, but I'm sure she'll, I'm sure she'll find them <laughs> <better> eventually. <laughs> um,
0: I still think that's weird. We
1: should talk. Yeah, they're a weird couple. I mean, I it it, it it is it is it is weird. Like the sort of rom com. Drama that they built, like between talking through a wall
2: to each other, and yep. then now
0: as
3: Sleep, I mean,
2: sleepless I, in my I, hallway. I, I bought it emotionally, but I just wish it wasn't happening because hall- I think Trish deserves better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Brad, I love that sleepless in a sleepless in a hallway. That's great.
3: That's, <laughs> sleepless that's, in a hallway. Really yes,
1: exactly. Speaking of hallways, we have the. Uh, Robin proclaiming herself a human lie detector test to Malcolm. Oh <laughs> you addicts are so sneaky. Oh, God. I. It, she could be really hard to watch. Like Robin, Robin and Ruben are both really hard to watch, but I feel like Robin is particularly hard to watch this episode because we know what happened to her brother, but also she's just such a mess. Like, I mean,
2: you want her to she, be comic relief, but it, there's nothing particularly funny because you know her brother is dead. Yes, he wasn't.
0: I mean, that's, dead. that's what I was experiencing be in that scene. Anyway. It like not funny anyway. She's a character that I can't figure out. Like, I think she's. It's just poorly written, and it. Uh, I, like, I just don't know what they were thinking of trying to do because um, she bounces all over the place as far as what she's, like, going off about, and at times they play her sympathetic, and at times they play her as complete mm. nut job. Like, it's it's just a weird... She's, I think, my most... The thing I dislike the most on the show.
3: Mm.
2: I, think she, I think the two of them were originally... We're supposed to read them as comic relief, but, of course, in this episode it stops being funny. I mean, I'm not saying that I find her and the things she say says light and amusing, but I think we're really laughing at her. Mm-hmm. Right, we're in on we're in on the joke, right? She's like so smug about like how she knew that he was lying and and when in fact the answer she, he gives her is in fact another lie and she assumes it's the truth, right? We we as the audience are, are supposed to laugh at her, but at the same time, you can't really, because her brother just got violently murdered.
1: I, that's totally true. But And I would also just add though that, like, I, I don't feel like anything between her and her brother has ever been laughable because they're so fucked up. Like, their relationship, I mean, in this episode, like, you sort of see, like, she's convinced that she had to take care of Ruben, that Ruben wasn't a sense, but essentially Ruben is not a real adult in her eyes. And Maybe that's true, maybe that isn't. But, like, if, if, if whether it's sure or not, it's still sad. You know what I mean? Like they themselves are too sad to actually be comic relief. Even even if Reuben wasn't dead, you know that's my feeling. I don't
2: know. It. I don't feel like I have enough information about their actual relationship to decide whether they're sad or funny. Like maybe it's mutually. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like incest is gross on its face, but um, but. I don't know. I don't feel like we have enough information of what's uh, what was going on in that relationship. Oh,
1: standing around in underwear cooking is certainly one of the things that were
2: that was. But um,
1: <laughs> oh gosh, he has an etch a sketch. Oh, the
3: etch a sketch.
1: Yeah. Although, actually, Brett, this really dovetails with your point where you're saying, you know, Robin thinks Jessica Jones has men quote under a spell. Like it's definitely like sort of role over a soul you definitely hear too about like you know women who blame other women for like men doing things that are fucked up basically this could kind of be a play on that
2: yeah when also sort of misplacing who's got the control and who's the mind control abilities um, mm. you know mm-hmm. Jessica dis- Jessica has a mind control problem but it is the opposite of what Robin thinks it is um, right Right, yeah, there's definitely a certain slut shaminess to it uh to Robin's attitude toward Jessica, yeah, yeah,
1: I think that's very intended, you know, and one of the reasons that which assumed that we don't like Robin actually is' because Robin's the kind of person who says those sorts of things
2: i I think what I mean when I say she's meta comic relief is I don't like her. But I think that she, I think the stakes of whatever drama is going on there are so much lower than in the rest of the show, right? Like, right. it's yeah. a moment to breathe, right, about the banana bread and the Etch-A-Sketch and all that stuff. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, for me, it's like a like a momentary distraction where I cannot feel like throwing up on my shoes. Yeah, that that's true. The stakes are lower even though they're still, like, not zero. Ugh. <laughs> oh.
1: So let's talk about Trisha's mom. I've been waiting for this reveal for a while. Um, this is quite a quite a character. Um, it's interesting. I don't think her, that this character was in. Well, this character was definitely not in the Alias comic series. I don't think this character was in Marvel comics. Period. Until now, right now they're, they just like launched this like last week. I'm sorry, no, it's coming out, it came out today. They came out today. There's a yes. new comic book series about Patsy Walker. I don't want to go too much into it because it could be kind of spoilery to say. But in the comic series that got launched today about Patsy Walker, um, her mom had written comics about her life when she was a teenager. So Patsy Walker in the Marvel comic book series is someone who was famous as a teen because her mom wrote fictionalized versions of, like, her childhood. Oh. They were romance comics. So, um... I, by the way, like in Gone I really Girl, enjoyed the
2: comics. Oh, really? Is that? I don't know. That's interesting. In Gone Girl, the protagonist, uh, her parents, her mom, wrote children's books about her that were very famous, which huh. is, a, again, actually a story about having agency removed, like someone else is telling your story, um, and you become famous as a character in somebody else's play, or you, You're your object and not subject. Um, so that's really interesting.
1: Oh, how cool. I hadn't realized that makes a lot of sense. So, but yeah, yeah. And Again, anybody who's interested in comics, I definitely think that the Patsy Walker comic is good and you should check it out. I think it's doing some interesting things. Talks a lot about like working and like I think that's a pretty interesting topic given all the desperate job seekers we deal with right now who are trying to just get by. But anyhow, so what thoughts do you have about Trisha's mom? <laughs> Because, you know, we we really had a sense of her being abusive and terrible, but we had not encountered her in the flesh until this very episode. And we saw her both today
2: and in the past now. I feel a little sad about that plot line, actually. You know, like, I feel like the mom who was too ambitious and then therefore became a horrible monster, I feel like that plot belongs in a different show. Oh. I, I hate saying that. I mean, I enjoyed the scene. I thought that Rebecca Jordan de Mornay was genius casting, right? Like, it was, yeah. it was well done. But it just reminds me of, like, did you guys see the Cinderella reboot, the live action, this year? No, I did not. No. I I only saw it because I got a press pass and I got to write about it. But um, it cool. was beautiful. Let me just say straight up, like, gorgeous like and i wanted they had made all this noise about it being a modern update and like no damn little distress and blah 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 and i was like can they really like reclaim cinderella like i want that to be true um but like the the modern update was like the the evil stepmother has a motive which is like she's too ambitious um Right, like it's ambition that makes her, and 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 by the way, the ambition comes from the fact that like her husband has died and she has to provide for her daughters, like. Um, which, anyway, uh, I just like, I really bristle at that. Like, woman is too ambitious and therefore is a monster, because of what we know about how women and ambition are treated in the real world. Um, totally. And so I I just wish it was something else. I certainly know that you know women are child abusers at about actually the same rate as men are child abusers, right? Like I'm not saying I you can not portray a woman who is abusive to her daughter, but the the sort of rooting it in her career ambition, uh I just I feel uncomfortable about it.
0: I feel like we've um, seen the plot line too many times before done other like elsewhere really well. Mm-hmm. which is kind of why I wasn't too, like, keen on the whole, like, this aspect of the show.
1: Yeah. Just a quick question, you guys. You both seem to say that there was something significant or important about the actress who they cast in that
2: role. I'm not familiar with her. What, what, what were you entailing?
3: She she Rebecca,
2: the lead, the female lead mm-hmm. in Risky Business with Tom Cruise. You know the yep. movie where he slides across the floor in his underwear? Yeah. she was. She was the woman, the object of his... Mm-hmm. Lust. Yeah,
0: she was also um, the I think the crazy one in the hand that rocks the cradle. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: She she was she's like an eighties slash early nineties sex symbol.
0: Yeah. gotcha.
2: Yeah, I guess the sure short answer what,
0: what happened morning to, to me when I saw her, I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's where she is.
2: Yeah. They, a lot of what changed, was your take on it?
1: I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like this is an unfolding mystery. Like, we, you know, her thing where, where, where the mother's, like, I didn't know that the doctor was over-prescribing medications. That's, like, a real thing that happens that I actually didn't think that's been coming up in a number of conversations um, that I've had with people working so, working who work in social services actually right now. Um, so I'd be really curious to see if they flesh that out at all moving forward. Uh, I also really want to know about, like, the the wound on Trisha's neck when we have that flashback sequence of just looking at her past. Because that wound on Trisha's neck is not self-inflicted, right? So I need to figure out how that little girl got that injury on her neck. And, of course, it connects to her getting strangled by Simpson, right? Like, some people need to leave Trisha's neck alone. Um, but I, I want to know, like... I want I I want to know more about what the fuck is going on with them I I really do but I agree with your critique like it what you know the overly ambitious mom I actually cringed in the earlier episode when um when Trish was saying oh her mom probably like had sex with all those you know Kids Choice Award judges to get her that award like, I actually winced I winced from that because that's such like uh, that kind of thing is just used to undermine women all the time and it just hurts to sort of see that repeated but um.
2: But her mom's probably you know.
1: There's, sure. I, I just want to know more.
2: <laughs> there's a neck thing happening now that you, you pull that out about Trish because there was all, all that stuff about Ruben and how he sensed it on his neck. And, of course, there's the decapitation um, and, yeah. and the wound to the neck. Like, I, there's something about necks in this episode. I don't know that I could say anything more than observing that connection. But... Yeah. I don't know um but yeah i i
1: i i do want to hear more from this story like i'm not crazy about that set up the way you said but i want to know more i want to know what the hell what the what the hell happened with her um and also just another just thought that came again is you know it just is just and trish like we now know that they're pretty young we know this because just is journal from high school was from between 96 and 1999, which means that Jessica Jones is younger than me, which is, like, totally not okay with me right now. Um, But (laughs) pretend that it is. Uh, So, our our young friends now, um, we, like, we we have this, uh, wow, I lost a train of thought there. Shit. Um, So
0: uh, the age thing, I think it's fascinating in that um, uh, Robin keeps on referring to Jessica as like the older woman stealing her her brother away. When I don't mm. think there's that big of an age difference between the two of them.
2: How old do you figure Jessica Jones is? I haven't done the math. I just assumed that ninety six to ninety nine
1: was like a journal from high school or something, but maybe even junior high. Um, I, we didn't really get to the. Yeah, it's the not like she's graduating from
2: high school in that scene. No, she's, she's, she looks maybe
1: like 14, 15 in that scene. So she was 14 or 15 in 1999, maybe. I don't know. Doesn't that make her 30, 31? Yeah, I mean, she was
2: really
1: 34,
2: so. I, I would have, oh, okay. I thought that meant
1: she was in the late 20s, but, um.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But, yeah, like, I, it's interesting um, sort of seeing that uh, her, you know, definitely Jess feels like she has to protect. She's, like, one of, you know, this is, the ta- this is like, Jess's, ep- this episode is, like, Jess's, like, the 25th hour episode. You know, Jess believes that she is going to be locked away in Supermax prison. And then this is her day to, like, wrap up loose ends and, like, close everything off. And, you know, one of her, like, final tasks is, she needs to, like, tell Trisha's mom to stay away from her
3: no matter what
1: happens. Um, and that level of, like, concern and ongoing need to protect her is, like, speaks pretty severely of how bad her mom must be. And also, oh, yes, this is the other thing. And also just the fact that Jess was adopted by strangers, essentially, I wasn't sure if maybe they were, like, cousins. Maybe they are, like, distant cousins or something like that. That would make a lot more sense. But, like, it's hard to get adopted by random people. It's just... Like they, they they really work, you know, to make sure that you're adopted with someone you have a relationship with. So uh, perhaps it will be revealed that they're cousins or something like that. That would make a lot of sense. Um, because
3: certainly I was it would still get her good press.
2: In re, um, Kilgrave taking over her childhood home, that like mm-hmm. I wonder if he assumes that it is full of good memories for her. Um, <laughs> yes. that he's. Right, he's lovingly recreating her bedroom, whereas like that place was already a place where she didn't feel like she belonged or had control, you know, uh, or was loved. That's al- already a place where she has a bunch of negative, difficult feelings. Um, and Kilgrave has this fantasy, you know, like you said, he's in a rom com. I think that he probably assumes that her childhood home is a place of comfort.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's, it's it, it, you know I don't know if she's upset about her because she ties it to her parents' death, or she might have been unhappy and alienated prior to her parents dying. You know, we don't really know.
2: But she certainly wasn't happy in that house because that woman, the mother, definitely was an asshole. We don't know exactly the brand of asshole, but um, oh, but that it was, wasn't a happy that, that place was, for her. Mm-hmm.
1: But I don't think – that wasn't her house with Trish's mom. That was her house with her old parents before they died.
2: Oh. All right. I misread that.
1: I'm pretty sure that that's what it was because she, the reason she left the journal is she's, like, being moved out of that house. Like, that conversation with oh, okay. Trish was, like, clearly, at least to me, like, very early in her meeting Trish. So that might have been, like, her, like, last day at her old house that she'd grown up in. Um, that was how I, uh, That was how I read it because – you know, she, like, left the book behind by accident because she couldn't find it. Like, she was being moved out of no,
2: that house. No, it all makes sense now. I just misread that. Never mind. Well, that's okay. But, yeah, so I really don't know. She, You know, she might have just been
1: doing normal, like, I'm 15 and I'm depressed things, you know, even before her parents right. were killed. Um, also, like, I just don't that, – that house is not Forest Hills. It looks like Kew Gardens, I think. I, I for those who don't know, I have checked. Those are not the names. Birch is like not a street in Queens. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i curious to know where they shot that scene, but it doesn't look like Forest Hill. The houses are too large and too detached. I think it looks like Kew Gardens, which is another neighborhood in Queens. These are the things that keep me up at night, so I just figured I'd share that little tidbit. Although um, it does dovetail with something else, which is that one of the, the things that Jess feels that she has to say goodbye to before she goes to Supermax is New York City itself.
3: You know, like I think the
1: only the only voiceover that she has this episode is her voiceover explaining that to us when she climbs up the Manhattan Bridge to get a last look around. I did not think the music they used the theme the theme music for the show to score that scene, and it seemed really ill matched to me. It th- that music is really menacing and. I just didn't think that was what we were supposed to be feeling in that moment. I think maybe we're supposed to maybe feel menace at first and then feel like, oh, we're above the world, and oh, my God, this is sad because she's saying goodbye. I wanted it to be something that was more... like I i wanted either the city sounds or, like, sad music or something. I thought it was weird to set that scene to the very anxious theme music of the show.
2: I wonder if that's why I was having serious vertigo that whole time. <laughs> I was like... It was sort of vertigo like, I knew what I was supposed to be feeling, but mostly I was like, my God, she's really high up there. No, she is. I, I totally me? see why. But it may have been the music was making me anxious.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, and I just didn't seem like it was, I, I didn't think we were supposed to feel that way. It's like, you know, it's her goodbye to New York, and
0: she's yeah. from New
1: York City, you know. She's, like, losing her city. Like, that's one of the things that she's giving up. Um, she talks about Supermax a lot. Like my, she, like she her she fixates on the word Supermax in a way that that makes her sound a little bit like, like, like it's a mental thing, you know. Like when she's when she takes herself into the police station um, to meet with Detective Clemens, he he picks up on that, like how she keeps talking oh, about yeah. Supermax. It it, so, it makes it sound like she's crazy that she keeps mentioning that one word. Like, it's fetishized, I guess. I mean, we know why she's using it, because she thinks that's the prison that will actually be able to prove that Kilgrave has powers and that he won't be able to break her out of it. But I also think that it's, I don't know. Any thoughts on the whole Supermax prison plan, guys? Uh, to me, so uh,
0: when the uh, episode... Even the first time and the second time I watched it. So, there was a Green Arrow movie that was supposed to happen, like, years ago, and it was called Supermax, or, like, Max at the time. And really? The idea was that Green Arrow was supposed to get arrested and thrown in the Supermax prison with all these, like, D-list characters, and the whole thing was to go and, like, try to either figure something out or capture someone or kill someone or something like that. So, the whole episode I'm thinking, wow. I'm just like, oh my God, this is the Green Arrow film done in TV.
1: Green Arrow is totally the know. wrong character to do that story with, by the
2: way. Like, like oh, yeah. what were they thinking? <laughs> right? Sorry, I had to geek out about that for a minute. Who okay. I mostly like thought that, it was really yeah. sad and profound, right, that, again, getting back to the ideas of control and freedom and agency, like, the amount that she was willing to, and, in fact, determined to give up in order to end this situation with Kilcrave um, mm. to resolve the situation, I thought it was actually really quite profound 'cause she and I thought that that scene where she says goodbye to New York I, I think you're right to sort of to talk about that scene. I think that was a really key scene because it talks uh, it's very much about she knows she's she's fairly clear eyed about what she's giving up. She's not clear eyed about how well the plan's going to work, I don't think, but um Mhm. <laughs> but I yeah. but I do think that she's clear-eyed about what she's giving up. Um and that's profound. Like I don't think she's under any illusions that like Supermax is going to be a super picnic for her. Um but she is that desperate. Like that is a better choice than the the situation she's currently living in. Um and I think that's I don't know. I think it's just deep, honestly.
1: I mean the fact that you know she the fact that that you know the police the police station episode, uh thing happens where you know she even takes herself to the police and Kilgrave still gets his way out of that which mm. like i think points to like you know how and it was sort of like people like oh you've been abused like you should go to the police and you're like well like you know even if i do that xyz might not happen you know or i might be subject to further abuse et cetera. i thought that it was sort of like a you think if you go to supermax you'll be able to stop him but this you know i mean getting into right. the police station is not the same as getting to supermax but it kind of began it was a reminder of like her, her, the flaws in her plan to
2: begin with perhaps but i think it was
1: also be well, significant of
2: something beyond that like the i was guns, also thinking really. about like why she couldn't just call the police and tell them the actual truth which is very directly related to real life abusive situations right like she would have to say, like, there's this guy and he can control my mind, right? (laughs) And they would not believe her. It's very clear that she cannot call the police and tell the truth. And that's part of what has put her in this desperate situation is that no one who has the power to help her would believe her.
3: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I, uh... what what do you guys think about the um, the the whole staging of uh, oh actually let me just break this down for a minute so she 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 goes she drops off the head we spoke a little bit about that scene already Um, and um, when she's meeting with Clemens you know she she needs to physically prove to him that she's super strong like he doesn't he can't quite comprehend it it's Mm -hmm. like it's so outside and this is a world where there really are barely any people with superpowers that the public is aware of so it's it's not surprising that he has such disbelief, but I also do think it's kind of gendered, like the idea that this like little white woman couldn't possibly be dangerous and she couldn't possibly mm-hmm. be this murderer, I think, is, is pretty clear, like that there's a bias going into that perception. And then the cop, ah, and this is something you don't know, so I will tell you this now, Jacqueline. Yeah. The cop who comes into the room to tell Jessica Jones she's free to go, he's a cop from the Daredevil show, and he's like oh. friends with, he's friends he like was a childhood friend with the two main characters from Daredevil. So when you see the cop come in and say you're free to go, for a second we were thinking like, oh my gosh, is Matt Murdock and um, Foggy Nelson who are like the you know the two lawyers and like protagonists of Daredevil? Are, did they come to go represent her? Like they're going to be the lawyers now? And you have this like glimmer of hope, and then you see the everybody with their guns stand and they're pointing behind <sighs> you like, nope, nope, she is not getting rescued by Daredevil right now. This is this is Kilgrave. Nothing good will ever happen. Gotcha.
2: I Brett, thought did I it didn't that think way? that, obviously, because I haven't watched Daredevil, but I thought, um, like, Trish had bailed her out or something. Ah, yeah. Even yeah. though that doesn't actually make sense if I'd thought it through because she hasn't been charged <laughs> yet. So, But in my mind, I was like, oh, I bet Trish came and bailed her out. Um, Brett, what did you think of that? Did you have the Daredevil thing on
0: I totally missed that reference, so, I mean, kudos to you, because that's something I didn't pick up at all.
1: Well, it makes sense also, because it's, it's the precinct, you know, Daredevil's health kitchen, she's in health kitchen, so they're in the same precinct. Yeah. But yeah, that, me, when I saw that actor, I was like, oh, oh okay, because, like, Daredevil's going to just show up, and she's going to try to tell him not to take the case, but he's not going to, you know, he will. he won't take no for an answer or whatever.
0: Um, it would have been a great opportunity to tie the yeah. two together a little bit, like to, to have him come in or, like, there's be some reference as she was kind of standing there of someone making a comment of, like, oh, that Murdoch is is defending somebody. <laughs> like, it would have been just a nice, small nod to it. Because we haven't really seen anything up to this point. Brett,
2: yeah. can I ask you a question? Um, <laughs> what did you think... What, when she got when he came in and said you're free to go, what did you think was happening?
0: Um, so I was convinced that um, like someone actually talked to the chief and they knew that she was full of it and was like sending her away. Like I didn't think the first time I viewed it, I didn't think of anything with Kilgrave. I didn't think anything with her lawyer. I really thought it was something like they they just know she didn't do it.
2: I think it's really to the show's credit that none of us thought it was Kilgrave, even though we know that yeah. she's being, you know, stalked and by Kilgrave at every second, but none of us thought, oh, Kilgrave mm. until we saw the police with the guns pointing at each other, which I think that's to the show's credit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um the staging of the, um, Everybody holding up the guns for each other's heads I, I, I'm trying. keep trying to find a word that isn't Mexican standoff, and I failed. But um, I uh, it's so intense. It was sort of like it felt like kind of like the end of Reservoir Dogs, except not at all thematically yeah. similar. Um, I don't know. That was a pretty amazing way for him to take over the station.
0: It's interesting. So I think that the scene gets really fascinating because it also allows him to explain why there's no video of him anywhere. Like, this is how meticulous mm. he is to cover up his tracks. Like, that end of of the scene where he you see him going over and making sure to delete all the videos of himself, um, I think it's needed. It was, like, really, really needed in the series because up to this point, I'm like, how is there no evidence of this guy anywhere? Yeah. Yes, he's point. very
2: good at what he does. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I think that you know, that entire scene, it was it was unclear to me whether he was going to tell them to fire or not, and he just sort of pictured the incipient massacre. Um, you know, I was thinking, well, if he does that, how is that going to get explained? But um uh, which is probably why he didn't do it, right? Like it would actually raise too many questions. Um it's certainly not because he cares whether or not people live or die. Um, hmm. But I thought, I
3: was,
2: yes, it was quite a scene. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it.
0: I mean, definitely, like, the, the first time I remember watching it, I was just like, he's got to get nominated just for that scene alone, for supporting actor for something. I mean, he just, he'd choose it so well. And it's so good in that, like, he's frightening, but at the same time, you're like, I was just engrossed in everything he was saying and how he was saying it and just how he basically commanded it. I mean, it really felt like he was commanding the room and controlling everyone, like, and you don't quite see that. Like, I could have easily seen someone else in that role doing that same thing, and it it just, it, that gravitas wouldn't have been there, and it wouldn't have quite work. But he just, I mean, he nailed it, basically.
2: Oh, 100%, all of the Emmys. (laughs) Just throw the Emmys at him. Um, I want to talk about, I mean, quite predictably, I want to talk about the issue of consent here, you know, because he Uh does, and I think this is certainly why you asked me to talk about this particular episode, but he does this fascinating thing where he says, I don't want to control your mind anymore. I want you to come to me freely, when in fact, it's impossible for her to come to him freely, first of all, she would never um and he is constantly controlling circumstances to try and make her come to him freely, right so he' is convinced himself that as long as he's not literally controlling her mind, he's not controlling her um and I thought that was also really revelatory um you know i uh I hear from a lot of assholes on the internet who think that talking about uh affirmative consent and is criminalizing male heterosexuality um and that you know getting rid of seduction and and those sorts of things and and i think those guys think like he does right as long as i can get the thing/person slash person, <laughs> um i want to say yes and i'm not forcing them to like with a gun to their head or something then that ca- then i can check off the consent box right and then then it's all fine so he's like telling himself this story about consent which is very <sighs> revealing about the way the culture actually really does approach consent which is quite twisted
3: mm-hmm Totally.
0: Yeah. And this, when, when you know, the, the first time I watched this, like it, it, this was the episode that really hit me. Of like, holy crap, they're really doing a show where the bad guy is a straight up MRA uh, member. He is like, a straight is up a,
2: MRA. Yes.
0: Yeah, and like this is where you really get his motivation as to what he's really about. I mean, this is a guy who never hears no, gets everything he wants, and the one thing he's obsessed with is the one person that kind of like stood up to him. And you see that online with like all you know, people stand up to certain movements online that I can't stand. Um, you know, they, the the people of that movement glom onto that person because that person, in many ways, is saying no to them, and they just can't stand that. And it's 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 fascinating to me to, to see it in, the, in like a television show and embodied and written in such a way because it's it's very subtle at the same time. It's not as like in your face as it could have been.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean,
1: know, he Sorry. Is... I... Go ahead. Oh, I was was just gonna say that, like, you know, he, he he's so much he, all of this entitlement that he has just oozes through this whole scene, you know. That he expects everything to go and bend to him, and that it always has, and he just takes it as a given. It's like the most like white dude thing ever, basically.
2: Yes, it and reminds it, me of the yeah. the t shirt that's been making the rounds recently, Lord, please give me the confidence of a mediocre white man um yeah. except he has the power mm. to back it up, but it's the same thought process, mhm, definitely, yeah,
1: and I he just that, doesn't um, see
2: that she cannot freely consent to him that the just the fact that he's not. Literally forcing her to his will does not mean she can freely consent. He's literally murdering people around her. you know he's <laughs> he is an actual terrorist um, and and yet he thinks because he doesn't have this show's equivalent to a gun to her head that whatever she does you know, short of that, well, she really can say, you know, she said yes, right? Like, therefore, it's a technical check and I'm not a monster, right? That's the story mm-hmm. he's telling himself.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And
2: that's a very it, common story.
3: hmm
1: Yeah, I, I really hope that people will recognize things about themselves or other people they know
0: from this
1: show because that's would be radical and and incredibly helpful. I do know from some friends, I mean, you might be getting some of these emails, too, that there are still guys who, like, watch the show and take away that, like, Kilgrave is, you know, this misunderstood good guy. Like, there are people (gasps) that are delusional.
2: Oh, my God. That's worse than when everyone was lionizing Don Draper.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely, I mean,
2: I will admit that, like, Scott Eric
1: Hoffman does get the most insane fan, like, the most insane (laughs) hate mail of, like, any man, of any, like, white man, like, he just gets the most insane things, but he's, like, yeah, he's, like, he gets stuff from people defending Kilgrave, so.
2: I mean, I I was going to ask, what are they saying, but I know what they're saying. Yeah, exactly, they're just being MRAs,
1: like, they're just being MRAs about it all.
2: And they also think he's in a rom-com. He, they they also think he didn't say anything. Pretty much. Well, I, it's not as much I like
1: as a rom-com. It's more that they feel like he's wronged and it's, like, unfair. Like, he probably had a hard childhood or, like, whatever. And so he's just, you know, <laughs> misunderstood or whatever.
2: You know what kills me with that narrative is, like, lots of people have hard childhoods. And most of them don't go on to be violent criminals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, so we leave we leave this episode with Jessica entering a potential <sighs> prison of her childhood house. And, of course, Douche Do- watching her. He probably thinks it cons- it's a conspiracy against him. He probably is like, <gasps> I see Jessica's in the with them all along. I'm like, who knows? I don't
2: know. I'm just sure that I was Douche thinking that is going to take the wrong yeah. message. Like, either that or he's going to go like... Rambo and run some ill-advised rescue mission. One or the other.
1: Yeah. <sighs> douche cop. Why you gotta be like that? Um, <laughs> it's just douche I, cop's I'm gotta so douche.
2: Certain. Exactly. Exactly. Any any other thoughts on that scene, guys? I mean, uh, that, that wrenching sadness. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just like to me the whole time. I'm like, here I'm trying to figure out like what's going through Kilgrave's mind. Like he, he wants the perfect home. He wants the perfect life, and. Out of everything, only the home and Jessica is he not using his powers at this point. Like when he bought the home, he could have easily told the guy, you know, sign everything, take this money, so it looked like I'm the up and up, and give me your home. But he doesn't. He pauses on that, and then he, you could see him frustrated, and he goes through the normal, the normal like methods, and actually does it above board. And then here too, trying to, you know, get Jessica to come and, and be like the housewife or whatever you want to call it. Um, he's not willing to use his power and wants her to make that decision again. It being above board, it, it's to me. It's like I'm trying to still figure out like why this aspect, other than like everything else is so easy. He's just bored
2: and he wants a challenge, and this is his challenge. Hmm. I think it's his way of making it special. Yeah, I think that you're. I think that's the same idea. You know, it's, that this is special yeah. and important. In a different way, and it it reminds me of the, the, you know, basically he's fixated on these signifiers of success and happiness, right? And and of basically of his alpha dude status, right? Like, um, mm. you know, and it all reminds me of of the sort of pickup artist attitude, like if you do these things to I manipulate you know, like this woman, she'll want to sleep with you. It gets back to that idea of what real consent is versus what these assholes ideas of consent are right which is like manipulate a woman into feeling like shit about herself until she wants to sleep with you she said yes that's consent um you know it's it's about acquiring the thing that will make you feel like a complete man as opposed to you know anything that has actual humanity to it and, I, and it's it's almost i mean the house in the suburbs and, and his idea of the perfect woman, like, it also has, like, little Stepford echoes, too, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He talks about how he wished he could have grown up in that, um, grown up in that neighborhood because of the nice big trees, et
3: cetera.
1: I think that, I, you know, I, we, I think we're going to learn a bit more about his past in an upcoming episode, and, and I'm sure it will be full of self-valorizing and delusions that will make us want to vomit and will seem all too realistic and
2: real. That seems likely. I mean, like I said, everything about this show makes you want to vomit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, my That's a weird
2: compliment. <laughs> On that note,
1: um yeah, you know, I think I think I've made it we've made it through the whole episode, you know. Are there any other
2: um thoughts you want to discuss about the show as a whole? And um I mean, I think that you I heard some of your previous episodes, I think you discussed this in an earlier episode. I do sometimes wish Jessica Jones could be herself without being a giant trauma victim and it being all about her. Like hard-boiled private mm-hmm. eyes don't usually have to explain themselves with trauma histories. Um, so sometimes I have those yeah. moments, like I wish we could have this complex fucked up. What does what Luke Cage say? You're a hard drinking, short fused mess of a woman. Yeah. Uh, good memory. With You know, without it being this story. But at the same time, I think it's so groundbreaking that this story is being told this particular story in this way. Um, and I can't think of anything that's been like it in pop culture um, in the way that it's exploring what it means to be violated and abused in, in especially gendered ways um, and exploring ideas about consent and control and all of that stuff, um, you know, and having an MRA as your, as your super villain, right? Like, um, and I I vacillate wildly between those two points. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I totally do.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I wish there was uh, the order that this has come out. I I like I like you know I'm, I'm, the second viewing I'm liking the show more and more than I did the first time because I'm picking up more details. Um, you know, helps not to be distracted and doing other things while watching. Um, but the the Thing that keeps us striking me is like, I, I wish there was something else on before taking on Jessica Jones, like a different female character they could have started with, whether or not being She Hulk or Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel or any mm-hmm. of them. Um, like I mean, there's Agent Carter,
2: who's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah.
3: Great.
2: Peggy Carter. She's
3: a And she's not I'm a, a victim. victim. No. No, and I, she's unfortunately, unfortunately,
1: she's not. She seems to be in l a in her next episode, which means I don't think she's with the woman who we all know she's destined to be with Angie the waitress but um but I'll be watching season two nonetheless uh, but yeah, no i <laughs> i i, I, I sim- similarly to Brett, i like was you know a little bit sad that like we don't and to what you said as well, like that we don't get to see more of Jessica on her own terms, it's like all very much grounded in her tra- the story of her trauma which folks who haven't read the comics should know like in the comics we only find out about Kilgrave very late in the series um she's being a bad detective lady like for you know like a year basically until we find out about the Kilgrave story oh, happening
2: at all Oh that's really different
1: Yeah Yeah
2: But at the same so, time I think it is telling a really profound story about gendered violation And it's doing it in really smart and affecting ways that you don't see much on television. You know, I tend to loathe rape plot lines on television because they're usually so terribly and exploitatively done, and I never feel like this is exploitative. Yeah, yeah, I will say
0: for the faults that I see in the show and things that I I like and dislike – I have to give it to, to Marvel and, and maybe even Netflix. I don't know how much input they had into, like, what this, the series is about. This was really gutsy to do.
2: Um, yes, it was.
0: And, and, like, kudos to them. Like, I, it really is very, it was very, very gutsy, and they, they they really stuck out their necks with it. And, you know, they they full get full credit for that, everyone that worked on the show.
1: Right
2: on. And I love how they so, don't... Like, there's there's fucked, obviously profoundly fucked up stuff about her relationship with Luke, but they don't suggest the fact that she, like, wants to fuck the crap out of him is part of it. <laughs> right? like, or mm-hmm. part of the fact that she's damaged. Like, she just likes sex. And I do love how unapologetic the show is about sex in that way and how it divorces it. Like, it doesn't say, like... There's a lot of narratives, especially if you're a victim of sexual violence, that, like, if you like sex, if you especially like casual sex, that it's some way of you acting out some damage or trauma. And the show has never pinged me in any way about that.
1: Yeah, for real. That is such a common, like, piece of bullshit that we have to hear. And it's been really refreshing to not have to hear that. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jacqueline. Um, I, we would love to hear about where folks can find your work online and beyond. I hear you might have a podcast or you do a I podcast do. It's called and The Yes re- oh, Means really Yes good. Show. <laughs> yeah. <Yay. laughs> it's, it's,
2: actually, it's actually called The Yes it's Means Yes Show. Podcast. It's the same podcast. I just changed the name. Ah. Uh, it was originally called Fucking While Feminist, but iTunes wouldn't let me list it in the iTunes store with that name. And I eventually gave up and surrendered because you have to pick your battles. I've I've tried to fight it for a long time and failed utterly. Um, It's bullshit, but iTunes gets to pull some bullshit, I guess. Uh, So it's the same show, just a different name. And you can find all the shows and all the information about it at com, where you can also find information about my books and follow me on social media. Um, Basically, if you... Want to find out more about what I'm up to, that is the website. It's dot com.
0: Awesome. Cool. we well, appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. It's, uh, it's as insightful and, and as solid as I thought it would be. So, no, I'd, uh really, really appreciate it. It's always great to hear someone who, like, really knows the – the material and I don't even know how, what you describing, but the real world like aspect of it it's, it's always fantastic to see like uh-huh. hear how that you know how show is doing and stuff like that um, as opposed to comic fans re- reflecting on it that might not know like the, the greater context um, so. well and similarly it
2: was great to get the comics context that I don't myself have <laughs> so it was really fun to do the show thanks for having me on yeah, yeah thank you
0: um, well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Jonesing for Jessica. Um, I, I don't think we've got the. Do we have the next one scheduled, Alana? As we far don't as
1: have the next one fun? calendared. No, we don't. Okay. Um, I, I, I know who our guests are, but I should probably confirm with them before telling everybody that that's the one <laughs> they'll be on. Yes.
0: But it will be after that.
1: Xmas. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be, um, it will be after Xmas. So uh, check out our uh, blog talk radio at Graphical Policy uh, to find out when the next show is on. We'll, we'll get it up as soon as uh, it goes all nailed down. Of course, you can always go to com and get all the details... There, um, we'll, of course, post there. For those who might have come in late, want to listen again, or share this episode, um, it will be up on iTunes a little bit after uh, things wrap up. It'll also be on Stitcher a little bit after it wraps up. I really don't know when, how long that takes. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have it on SoundCloud. Um, on my goal is to get it uh, posted tomorrow on the site for uh, folks to check out. Um, So you'll be able to listen there and uh, share it with your friends. So as always, thanks for listening. We really, really appreciate this. Uh, Until next time, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. Thanks.